I'm Jerry Weaver. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is July the 2nd, 1989. I've got a home group. My home group is a group called There is a Solution. We meet in Cary, North Carolina on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights at 7 o'clock at the Macedonian Methodist Church. Some of y'all have been there. Most of you haven't. If you're ever uh, up in in that part of the country, come check us out. I've got three uh, good home group members with me tonight. Uh, Ruth called them critters. And uh, Steve called them angels. I don't know. They're, it's probably somewhere in the middle uh, for that. So, uh, but I appreciate y'all coming up, uh, coming up with me. Look, I'm a guy that could not stay sober prior to coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. Tried a lot of ways to get sober prior to getting here, prior to knowing what was wrong with me. My grandma told me I was white trash. And um, my parents told me, or my brother told me, and my mom told me if I just loved Jesus a little more, things would be different. Had to just pray a little harder. I tried all that stuff, and none of it worked. Went and saw a psychiatrist. Wife tricked me into that. She told me that we were going for marriage counseling, and I got there, and then she wanted to talk to me about my drinking. It did not go very well. Around that same time, I shaved my head. I was thinking that um, I, I, I worked, drank, drank with a guy at work, and... He drank worse than I did. Matter of fact, when I wanted to feel good about myself, I'd hang out with him. And, but he showed up for work one morning, and his head was shaved. And I asked him, I said, man, what's up with your head? And he, he had hooked up with this organization that believed that the problems of man stem from their hair. And that when you shave your hair off, that, that means the old man dies, and you kind of get a new way to live. And when your hair grows back, you're like reborn. So I went home, I shaved my head. <laughs> I looked like an idiot with a shaved head. And uh, um, I stayed sober for about three days on that. And I would read spiritual books. I got saved in the Baptist church, got dunked in water, had oil rubbed on my forehead. People prayed on me. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Those folks saved my life for a little while. Um, but no matter, but, but I couldn't stay sober. And I'd leave that church and I'd go, I'd, well, sometimes I drank during the middle of the service. I'd get up in the middle of the service and go drink in the bathroom or do some cocaine and head back in there all torped up. And that guy was preaching that hellfire and brimstone. You get paranoid as a... I mean, it was terrible. And um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to quit, and I couldn't. And I wanted to stop living the crazy, chaotic life that I was living and I couldn't. And my mom loved me. My dad loved me. Both of them tried very hard. And that didn't work. My wife, I, I don't know if she loved me or not, but she, she certainly acted like she did. But she would give me ultimatums. And I would try to comply with those ultimatums for a few, you know, for, well, I would try for the rest of my life or forever. But it would last just a few hours or a few days. And... The next thing you know, I'd be off drinking and, and, you know, running the roads. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I mean, I, I wanted to do different. I wanted to be different. I wanted to, you know, to, to, to make my parents proud of me, and I wanted to try to comply with my wife's orders. <laughs> but I just, I just never could do it. And I was what the book describes is I was a baffled lot because – you know, here I am wanting to do the right thing. I make all these promises to do the right thing. And right after making the promises, I'm violating the promise and doing the wrong thing. And what happened to me was I got suicidal 
And I really thought that life would, the life, life would be better off without me. The world would be better off without me. My family would be better off without me. And I, I attempted suicide three times. They tell me that I died twice. I, I remember one of them. I shot up some dog poison that the vet had given me to kill the mange on a dog. And this will show you that you're not dealing with, a, 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 with outright mental defective is what I am. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, I shot some of that stuff up in my arm and laid down on the floor of the house there and died. And uh, was in the hospital for about five days. I got out of the hospital with a firm resolution. I made all these promises to my parents. I had this conversation with my dad that after going through that experience, there's no possible way that I could go back to drinking. Yeah. Three days out of the hospital, I was drunk. Mm. And the, you know, the family was baffled, I was baffled. And I didn't realize that I suffered from a mental obsession that there's no human power that can, that can relieve me of that. I believe that today. That it doesn't matter how much the, the family loves me or how much the Air Force threatens me or the Harnett County deputy threatens me, none of that stuff is sufficient to stop me from taking the first drink. And I didn't, I didn't know any of that, um, but I attempted suicide one more time and uh, obviously survived that and had basically given up on living. I thought that, that you know, life was just a waste of time. The world was out to get me. I'm continually blaming everything on other people. It's not my fault. And I, let, I, I was walking down the road one morning um, with an intent of going to write a bad check and go buy bootleggers and get some more whiskey. And that morning I had no, I had no plans to get sober. I had no plans for my life to, turn, to get turned around. I was basically homeless and... and you know, didn't have didn't have much future ahead of me. The motor had blown up in the little '72 Volkswagen that I was driving around. So I'm I'm walking around and I um, I don't know. I had a, like a moment of clarity. I realized that my life was getting ready to be over with. It shouldn't be over with. I just turned 22 years old and life should be starting. And I said a couple of prayers. I said, God, please help me. And I said, There's got to be something better than this. And right when I said that prayer I looked over I'm walking down it's about it's about 6 a.m. in the morning and I'm walking down a country road between Coates and Benson and I looked over and there was a little house on the side of the road and there was, the door was open and there was a lady sitting in there in a rocking chair and the next thing I know I'm up on the front porch asking her if I can use the phone that wasn't me that, that wasn't in me and the lady let me in I called my dad and I asked him if he'd come pick me up and he reluctantly came and picked me up. And when I got into the car with him, the first thing out of my mouth was that I need some help. And I had never, I had asked for help and I had done some stuff before, but never, it, this was different. I, I honestly asked him for help and he, he knew what to do. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a detox in, in Raleigh and I blew a 19. I know that's low compared to most of you. Uh, <laughs> But it had been hours since I had drank. But my point in saying that is, not long after they gave me the breathalyzer, a guy from Alcoholics Anonymous came in and started talking to me. And I was already, I mean, I was still drunk. And they probably had given me some, some 
other stuff. I don't I don't know if they did or not. But anyway, the guy came in and started talking to me, and he talked about himself. He didn't ask me a bunch of questions. He didn't ask me about warrants and wives and bills and blowed up cars and nowhere to live, jobs, none of that stuff. He just talked about himself. He talked about how he drank and things that he'd done. And I immediately, I don't know if it, that might be a little, a little too much. I, I identified with what he was saying. I don't know if I immediately identified with him, but I knew that he, what he was saying was the truth. And he had been where I'd been. And I had, I had been tried, lots of people had tried to help me up prior to that time, but this was very different. And I knew that whatever he was talking about, that it, it resonated with me. Been sober ever since. And not long after that, I joined out. I mean, I would be sent to Alcoholics Anonymous or hauled off to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was told real quick that the solution to my problem was in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that it contained all I needed to recover from alcoholism. And for some reason, I believed that. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't in a position to be negotiating. <laughs> and I mean everything else and from my perspective had had quit working and you know it was basically told me why not try this and so I'm a guy that I wanted help I I was not forced here nobody gave me any ultimatums I I I mean I I didn't come here completely willingly because I was sent to the detox but once that guy came in and talked to me I I said yes I'm going to try it and what I can tell you is, and I, this is not as, as, like as strong as it sounds, but I've not looked back. I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous ever since then. I took those steps, and my life slowly started to, to turn around and to change. And not long after making a few amends, the obsession to drink left me, and it's not come back. I'm not naive enough to think that it can't come back. If I stop doing certain things, I absolutely know that it can that's why I haven't stopped doing those things. And I have just, I have, I found, I found new life and I found purpose here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that sounds like it's been some dream thing, but it hadn't. It's been a pain in the butt and it's been fun and it's been aggravating and it's been happy. I mean, everything you can think about, we experienced that in Alcoholics Anonymous. But Alcoholics Anonymous has helped me to be free. And... I mean, that's just, I'm not encumbered by my past anymore. I can, all the things that I thought were the worst things that happened to me, things that they make movies out of, I laugh at it, and it's just, it's just like, okay, it happened. And I'm willing to share that with anybody if it's going to help them. And that's, that's true freedom. The, um, and so the topic, anonymity, is uh, I'm a guy that, that, so when I got sober, I hated traditions. I shouldn't say I hated traditions. I didn't understand them. And I heard people say that they were like politics and it was business. And so I would avoid tradition meetings when I first got sober. But I'm grateful that I had a sponsor and I actually was in a group that, that talked about traditions. And um, I was, it was explained to me early on about what anonymity is and what anonymity is not. And... Um, Anonymity, you know, and anonymity nowadays, it's like it's all like this fear-based stuff, and that's not what, I, what anonymity is. I'll get to that in a little bit. The, a little bit about the history of anonymity 
is and, and the w- reason I'm grateful for good sponsorship and good leaders in Alcoholics Anonymous because I was taught that being a member of AA is not anything to be afraid of. I was taught that being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous is not anything to hide from. I was taught that being an Alcoholics Anonymous, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous is actually an upgrade from being a drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that most people are going to appreciate that. People that don't appreciate that, you're not going to associate with them anyway, so it doesn't matter. The first thing that the first time the anonymity or anonymous hits you is in the book. It's it's half of our name, and if if you don't know this, that when they were writing the book and they were trying to figure out the fellowship was about three to four years old, they had about a hundred hundred people that had gotten had recovered. They figured they were going to write a book, and they they were trying to figure out the name of the book, and they had they reviewed over two hundred names. For the book, they dwindled that down to two names. One was the Way Out, and the other was Alcoholics Anonymous. And the fellowship voted at that time to call the fellowship and the book, or call the book, the Way Out. It got voted on and approved. Some dude says, "Well, we probably should check and make sure that there's not other books called the Way Out." And there was a member called, his name was Fitz Mayo. He lived in D.C. He actually went to the Library of Congress and looked. And at that time, there were 12 books called The Way Out. And they decided they didn't want to be the 13th book called The Way Out. (laughs) So they settled on Alcoholics Anonymous. And at that that time, the... um, the purpose of anonymity, if you read the forward of the first edition, right, that's where the anonymity first kind of presents itself in our fellowship. It talks about being afraid that we're going to be too popular and we're going to have too many members coming to us, so we want to remain anonymous because we don't have enough members to handle all the people that are going to flock to us. So that's, that's, that's how anonymity first started. It was not about like hiding or being a secret society. It was more about, hey, we don't think we can handle the number of people that are going to come to us, so we're going to lay low for a little while uh, <coughs> until, we, until our membership builds up. And they also start talking in the, in, the, in the first edition about people speaking publicly about Alcoholics Anonymous. And what the book says, I violated what the book says. When I introduced myself as Jerry Weaver, the book says in the first forward to the first edition that we, if we're speaking publicly, this is an open meeting, right? So it's a, it's a public meeting whether you like that or not. It's a, it's, a, it's a public meeting. It's an open meeting. Anybody can come. The book says when speaking publicly, we should uh, introduce ourselves or we should eliminate our personal name, which basically means your full name or your last name. Now, we know in the fellowship, within the fellowship, if you, if you listen to any of our literature, you actually should use your full name in the fellowship. We're not anonymous within Alcoholics Anonymous. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Nobody's going to say anything to you. That's, that's, your, that's your right and your decision. But if you follow the literature, it actually tells us that in the fellowship, we should use our last names. The first edition says when speaking publicly, we shouldn't. And it also urges the press to not disclose any 
individual's membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. So that was in, that was in 1939. That's, that's what anonymity was. It was actually really designed, and still is today, it's designed to protect Alcoholics Anonymous from its members. It's not designed to protect members from personal privacy. There's a difference there. And so basically what happened was people started to get sober, and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous started, it didn't immediately explode like you, you'll hear. I mean, they only, heck, four years in, they only had 100 members. I mean, that's not explosive growth. <laughs> but the book hit, and it did start to grow. And Alcoholics Anonymous started to get some publicity with uh, newspapers and magazines writing articles about the success of it. And it appeared at that time that the fellowship would actually be bet it would be best served if people disclosed their their membership, right? One of the first examples was a, a popular baseball player who was he was extremely popular nationally. He was like somewhat of a, a rebel, but evidently the nation loved him. He played for the Indi- up in Cleveland, and he was a bad drunk. Everybody knew it. He got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he basically went public and told everybody that Alcoholics Anonymous had changed his life. At that time, even the leadership of Alcoholics Anonymous thought it was a great thing. Man, this dude's popular. Everybody knows him. He's going to, you know, he's going he's gonna to blow the membership wide open when people find out he's sober. Well, he didn't stay sober. <laughs> so he, he, you know, he went out and told everybody that he was sober, and then he ends up getting drunk. So what happened was that tarnished the A name a little bit at that time, right? And people are like, well, that dude claimed he got sober, and now he's not sober. Alcoholics Anonymous must not work. And even at that time, our co-founders, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob Smith, they, there was a female that had gotten sober, and she basically went national and started the national, what we know now as the National Council on Alcoholism. They may have changed their name now, but she started that. And Bill and Dr. Bob both were like on the board, and some of the letterhead, you can see it, they actually say that they were members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, they realized pretty quickly, there were other examples of that, but they realized real quick that, that Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't need any spokespeople. That Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't need a figurehead. And this is really how the, 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 the 11th tradition, as we know it, started to develop, was that they realized that we don't need any messiahs. We don't need any, any uh, you know, people actually speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous. And they realized that the bet, so we do have a public relations policy, if you look at the 11th tradition. That's what the 11th tradition talks about. It talks about our public relations policies is based in anonymity. I'll read it here in a minute when I get, open the book. But we started to realize that the best public relations policy we can have is the examples of our, mem- of our recovered members. And so anonymity started out, and it still is today, even though we've, we've, we, it's kind of morphed into something a little different, but it's basically a spiritual cloak over Alcoholics Anonymous that it's, it's about quiet service. It's about being humble. It's about, it's about hey, we're, we're successful and we're sober and we're living good lives, 
but we don't go out and, and shout that to everybody. We, we let our living examples be the, the, the example of that, the evidence of that. And so that's really what anonymity is about. It's about humble service. It's about, it's about you know, uh, just being quiet and going about our business in a, in a very s like servant leadership type way and letting people see that. And then our public relations policy is based on non-alcoholics that see that, and then they start saying, man, old Steve got sober. He's not driving that Pinto anymore, and he's not in jail anymore, and so it, it must be something to it. And, and that's really what anonymity is about. It's, 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 it's the opposite of, 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 you know, some guy going out and screaming from the rooftops about all this stuff that happened to him. That's, that's not what we do. If you want to get real technical with anonymity, it, it, it says that we should stay anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. You could add internet to that. But what that's talking about is that we're not supposed to go out in, at, in the public arena with our full face and full name and, and say we're members of Alcoholics Anonymous or say that we speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what anonymity is. It's... It's, it has very little to do with don't tell anybody you were here and I won't tell anybody I was here or whatever that statement is that, that you hear. There's nothing wrong with that statement. That's more personal privacy. That's not anonymity. I mean, anonymity is being anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. It's one of those things that, that it's very clear in our literature, but people just ignore it. They don't want to think that that's all it is. But that's what... That's what anonymity is, and it says there's no need to praise ourselves. So Alcoholics Anonymous has had a very successful career over the last 80-something years without doing any sensational advertising. We don't, it says that in the tradition, we don't do any sensational advertising. We don't have people that go out in public for us. Now, you probably have some examples of where you've seen some movie stars or some public figures that actually break their anonymity. That's, I mean, I guess that would be called a, called a violation. Um, so anyway, they wrote the tradition. He started writing them in 45. After about 10 years of experience, they were published in 46. And they were adopted by the convention in Cleveland in 1950. Grasshopper will tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's right. Um, and anonymity kind of became the, uh, I don't know, a, a national tradition for the fellowship to prevent anybody from tarnishing the name. It's somewhat been followed. I don't think everybody has, has followed it throughout the years, but um, that, that's how it started and that's what it's about. The, one of the best examples of, of, of this would be in, in 1954, Yale University tried to give Bill Wilson an honorary doctorate of law degree. And if you've never read the, the, the article about it, it's in the grapevine. If you've got a language of the heart, it's in there. But it shows the correspondence from Yale to Bill, Bill back to Yale, Yale to Bill. It's fascinating when you read it. So they were going to give him this honorary doctorate. Now, if... Bill Wilson, our co-founder, I mean, he's been known to be an egomaniac. He was in love with himself, all that stuff. And 
He turned it down. That's, that's anonymity. That, that's what it's talking about. Now, don't you know you would love to have an honorary doctorate from Yale? I mean, come on. I mean, and, and he, they even had discussions about, you know, how it, was, it would help the fellowship and would really put them at a, you know, at a higher level. And, and he, he wrote them back and turned it down. And, right, and said that nobody needed that much prestige, nobody needed that much public notoriety, and that it would, it would, it would basically not be in the spirit of what he called the 11th and 12th tradition. That's a good example of it. Um, I've got some personal ex- ex- examples in my own life that, and you could, you could argue, well, you t- if you're talking about it, you're not being humble, but what did Tom used to say if it's the f- truth it's not? Ego or something like that. You remember what that was? Something like that. Um, well, I got an example of with Tom Ivester. So I don't know if some of y'all knew him, some of y'all didn't. But me and him and and my uncle were at a conference in Virginia one time, and we left the conference to go eat at a public restaurant, and one of us still had our badge on, and we're in we're in line and the. The waitress is like, what, what, what are y'all doing? Now, I'm barely sober. And so at that time, I'm still like lying to people. Well, we're at a church function. Or, <laughs> I'm sure y'all have done that. Or we're at a spiritual retreat. And uh, Tom says, oh, we're at the A roundup down here at the Hilton or whatever it was. And I'm like, what is this? What is he doing? You can't tell people that, that you're at a, an AA function. And... Um, you know, he he explained to me that, I mean, I thought it was like, man, this guy's like violated my anonymity and he's violated my <laughs> personal space. And I mean, everybody at the beach knew that there was an AA conference in town and we're, you know, half of people wearing shirts and badges and, you know, and, and Tom explained that it's important for people in the community and for others to see how Alcoholics Anonymous transforms lives and changes lives. And just by us being in there and, 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 you know, and being happy and trying to be helpful, that that's, a, that's actually a good example of what AA does and that that's not, it's really got not much to do with anonymity and that it's okay for people to know that. I, I had um, my, a, another personal example of kind of what I think anonymity is is that it was years ago a, a local newspaper in Raleigh did a, an article on me. It, I don't even like talking about it, but it gets at the at the at the heart of the of the tradition. The and it was it was on basically uh, like going from sweeping floors to running a business in in Raleigh, and it was just just kind of puffed up. It was it was it was. Um, it was aggravating and made you feel good at the same time, like doing it, right? I mean, it was kind of embarrassing and stroked your ego at the same time. It was a cool article. But anyway, I, they, they, they like asking you these questions about how you, why are you successful and what, you know, what helped you get where you're at. And the whole time that they're interviewing me, I'm like, I mean, for me, it's just alcoholics anonymous. I mean, I've done nothing else. I have done other stuff since then. But so I can see how if you don't, have good sponsorship or if you don't know the literature, you, it would be easy to say, well, man, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and the 12 traditions have changed my life and that's why I'm where I'm at. Luckily, I knew not to do that. 
but it is very tempting. And so that's what the tradition is kind of getting at. It would have been easy for me to, to basically exploit AA and to use AA for my benefit in that article, but I didn't because of, of good sponsorship. Now, so check this out. After the interview, I never mentioned Alcoholics Anonymous. After the interview, the ladies asked me, she says, we're off the record. She says, are you a member of Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> and I was like, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, but please don't print that. She says, oh, no, I'm not going to print that. She says, she says, I could just tell by some of your answers. <laughs> I guess we use a vernacular word that, you know, that, but she liked, so she was, but she was familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous and the, the principle of anonymity. Um, so, so that's more of what the tradition, just f for my money, is getting at. Um, and I, so I know that there's also pieces of anonymity that are very kind of, I guess, sensitive to people in the program about disclosing their membership in AA and about people knowing or not knowing. And there's certainly a place for that. I know when, when we all get, first get sober, we're, we're, we're scared and we're fearful and most of us or all of us are delusional and we really don't know the truth from the false and we, we're scared that people are going to know we're in AA and that's a real thing. I, I know that that is. Um, a few things that happened to me when I first got sober was I, I got a, I, I had actually gotten a job the week before I got sober and I just didn't show up for that job. Right, and then I'm gone for 30 days, and I get back, and they're they're actually willing to bring me back. I talk to an AA member. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to tell him? Just I just tell him I was, you know, at the beach or I had some kind of surgery. <laughs> He's like, no, you tell him the truth. And that was I just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> tell him the truth. I told my boss the truth, and they also told me to give him a copy of the big book. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> 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 it just doesn't make any sense. Now, I have since had a hard time getting other people to do that, but I can tell you, man, it was the best thing that I ever did was by telling the truth and, and not having those secrets or having to lie more and shuck and jive and all that nonsense. I just told him the truth, and you know what? The guy was very appreciative of it. He actually read that book, and later on when his daughter needed help, guess who he called? He called me. That, that's why it's important for us to not be afraid to, to let people know that we're in Alcoholics Anonymous. My dentist, I told my dentist a long time ago that I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've had more people come to me from, through him that have needed help. It's not something to hide from. I'm going to read something here, but I can't find it. I'm getting old, Bree. Huh? I had another example I was going to tell you. Um, oh, I had a boss one time. So this is a here's – a, here's a story for you. It's a short story. The, um, I had a boss that I worked for at, at the company I worked for for a long time that – I mean, he knew I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was just it just wasn't a big deal, and I'd left there, and about 
seven years later, which would have just been a couple of years ago, he, I'd always thought he might have had a drinking problem. He, he, he called me one day and told me he was sober. And we never had a whole lot of conversations about it, but he said that what helped him go to Alcoholics Anonymous was the example that I set when I was working for him. That's, 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 and, and I never once had a whole lot of conversation with him or bragged about anything. It was just, that's, that's anonymity. That's, that's what it's talking about. Um, the, uh, here's an, an interesting story. The Raleigh paper, several years ago, ran back-to-back articles. This was when people still kind of read papers. Um, about sports figures that were having, everybody knew they were having problems with drinking and drugs and they ran these stories on this one guy and basically disclosed, he disclosed he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the article. <coughs> well, several of us locally talked to our delegate at the time and asked the delegate if they could, you know, do something about it. And the delegate gave the pat answer, well, GSO sends out a letter to all media once a year, and that's all we need to do. Not long after that, another article comes out about a different guy that was having some problems, and he got sober. Neither one of those guys have stayed sober, but this guy, stayed, this guy they ran an article and said he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the article. We couldn't get anybody, GSO or the delegate, to do anything about it. So me and another guy locally called the editor of the newspaper up and asked if we could meet with him. And he took the meeting. I was actually surprised, but he took the meeting. And we went and met with him. And now this guy is a very, he's a very popular editor. A lot of influence in the community, a lot of influence in, in, in other communities too, but Anyway, we met with him. We, we, we talked to him about these two articles, you know, and asked him if he knew anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. He didn't know much about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, we asked him if he knew anything about anonymity. He didn't have a clue what it was. And we explained to him about our stand on anonymity and that our members aren't, you know, typically don't go into press radio or films or TV and disclose their membership. And he, he listened to us. And he said something that was just, it was absolutely the truth. He's like, well, that's, he says, oh, that's fine and good. He says, but it sounds like it's your problem, not mine. <laughs> I mean, it's your member that violated it. We just publish information. And, you know, so it, it sounds like your, your problem's in your house, not my house. And he was right. And so we, we educated him as best we could, and we left a little literature with him. And he did do this. He said that he would make sure that his staff saw the literature and that his staff understood where we were coming from. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about it. The meeting went very well, by the way. He, it was about three or four weeks, I don't know exactly when it was, but a little later after that, he wrote an article about two guys from Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> coming to see him and explaining to him what, you know, what Alcoholics Anonymous was and what it wasn't. And the other guy that was with me, during the conversation, he told him about 
how long he'd been sober and what his sobriety date was. That guy actually called, the editor called that guy on his, on his birthday, his AA birthday, and congratulated him. He remembered that. As far as I know, they've not written any, well, they may have, I don't know, haven't read that paper in years, but they had stopped kind of disclosing that information. So that, that's really what anonymity at, at the public level is about. You know, there's a big difference to me. I wouldn't argue with anybody, but in our groups, I really don't think we should be anonymous. I don't think we should be anonymous in the community. I think we should have sobriety established before we, you know, and, and we should be on firm ground before we start, like, letting people know. Um, but there's a difference between anonymity and, and personal privacy. And if I'm coming to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I'm sharing intimate relate information and I don't think that's going to get around to people, that's my problem. That's not y'all's problem. I mean, I mean, we need to, I mean, it needs to be safe here and we need to be able to, to I mean, to, to talk about what's going on with us. But most of that stuff is for a sponsor. It's not for an open meeting. And, you know, so that's, that's just my, my take on that. So... I'll close with this. On the 12th tradition, it says, Finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are actually to practice a genuine humility. This to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. So it doesn't talk anything about I'm here, you're not here, or disclosing anything. It, it talks about the, the principle of anonymity is it's, it's throughout all the other 11 traditions. The idea of being humble and of being quiet and of just living our lives in a way that is attractive to other people. It talks about placing principles before personalities. That means I got to pl pl place principles before my personality. There's nothing wrong with any. There might be a lot wrong with you, but <laughs> I, I quit running the show. I can't look at it that way. So what you do is fine. What I got to do is place a principle before my personality. And my my favorite ex example of that is, I was it was years ago, and. A bunch. My family would go to my older brother's house in Georgia for Thanksgiving, and we were down there. And um, my younger brother, at the time, had just published a book, and he was the only U.S. citizen in the whole country of Afghanistan. And he was he was all over the TV, and people. Were, Tom Brokaw was interviewing him. He was on Good Morning America and all this stuff. And he was not at Thanksgiving because he's out selling his books and helping people. And the, we're sitting there at my, my other brother's house, and my mom's, like, talking all this stuff about my brother and how great he is and this book he's put out and all these people he's helping. Now, what I heard was, Jerry, you're a piece of trash. <laughs> you ever had that happen? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. John's great. And you're not, she never said any of that. But that's what I'm hearing. I'm thinking in my mind, man, what are you talking about? I, I mean, I've been sober now, what, 10, 
eight years or whatever it was, and don't you know that I was, you know, I was in the in the newspaper in Raleigh, and <laughs> they told me I was one of the, you know, the most influential business leaders under the age of thirty, and I'm going into the prison helping all these people. That's what I'm thinking, and I was butt sore about it. I'm not going to lie about it. It just it just didn't sit right with me, and I just I stewed. I had a resentment. All the way driving back from Atlanta to Raleigh, I was resentful at her, and I'm thinking, like, man, I'm never going to go see her again and all this stuff. And just, you know how your mind just goes to all kinds of crazy places. And so we get, me and my wife get home, and I go to my home group at the time, which met on Sunday night, and I get to the group, and the, the topic's the 11th tradition. <laughs> and this guy chairs the meeting, and he says, it says here there's never a need to praise ourselves. And it was like all that resentment just went away, and I realized that, that we don't need recognition, right? We do what we do for free and for fun. And that, that my, my sobriety and the example and my willingness to try to promote unity and to help people regardless of, of, any, of anything is what's important. It's not about getting a pat on the back or taking credit for stuff. I think that's the, the essence of, of really the 12th tradition is that, that I shouldn't take credit for stuff. That it's, be, it's because of the principles of the steps and because of God and other people that have been willing to help me that I'm where I'm at. I had very little to do with it. Um, and that's the, that's the essence of anonymity. It's about just being a humble servant, not taking credit.